I was a master of the the other experience. I was a master at being the best employee, being the best boss, working the hardest, um, uh, uh, finding the most ridiculous people to get into relationships with so I could fix them. You know, all these classic kind of like avoidance techniques of dealing with my own stuff. And then when I finally awoke, and it was really tough because as well, you don't want to you don't you don't want I didn't want to be self-centered and egotistical and think that I'm more important than the, than everybody that's in my world but it really took a long long time but I'm at the point where I know if I didn't focus on me and if I didn't get myself healthy and I didn't get myself to a position where I mattered as much as everybody else that I wasn't going to live a fulfilled life and I certainly wasn't going to be able to give my loved ones a, a good life because um you know eventually I was going to crack Right? Everybody would. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and each week we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. If you're a regular listener, then you've heard us say many times before that we are all here on purpose for a purpose. We all matter. We're not here by mistake, and I believe we carry gifts that we hold a responsibility to share. Although we may be more alike than different, our path to finding purpose is unique to our soul's journey. And that's what I find makes these conversations so engaging. Today, our guest is David Richmond, once a sedentary, overweight smoker living within an abusive marriage and negative headspace. He was not caring for himself and spent most of his time living what he thought everyone else wanted until one day when he looked in the mirror and asked himself, who do you wanna be? David's journey took a turn that day and opened a door that led to a more fulfilling life, the one that he lives now in a healthy athlete body. He started training for endurance sports while rehabbing his life and in the last decade has completed 50 plus triathlons, more than 50 ultras, and one super epic bike ride. But as we've learned through almost 300 interviews, that once we encounter a waking up moment, it doesn't mean that we're immune to the obstacles and heartbreaks of life. And so as David walked his path towards a more vibrant life, his sister traversed a very different path, one that led to the loss of her life and ultimately David's most recent book, Cycle of Lives. I'm sure we're going to talk about that book and much more as we dive under the surface with someone whose transformation has not surprisingly revealed great purpose in his life. David, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Jess. That was a really moving intro. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, your story is really moving and it's got so many different chapters, right? We've got the the pre-awakening moment, um, you know, and which brought you to that moment when you were looking in the mirror. And then we've got this parallel story of your sister and a couple of books that's come out of this. So let's, I would love for you to just start with your story, which I know story is a, is a big part of how we connect and a big part of the book Cycle of Lives. And so I'd love for you to share, you know, your story uh, with us and, and um, yeah, wherever you want to start. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll start with, uh, with BJ's um, like love for Iron Man. Um, <laughs> one of the quotes, like one of the quotes that I, that really touched me when I was going through this little awakening was by one of the founders of Iron Man. And he, and he had a quote that went something like, you know, Iron Man's are hard. And I know, you know, when I get up, I'm not going to win, but I know I'm going to finish ahead of the guy that never started. 
And I, 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 I took that and I didn't like, that didn't inspire me, but it, it really speaks to speaks to me on any kind of transformational journey that I've taken is that, is that I might not be successful at it. I might not maximize it. I might not be the best out there. I might not get it right, but it's going to be better than if I never did it at all. And uh, that's when that moment that you, you talked about in, in, in the intro um, kind of hit me was like, I just thought to myself, I got to, I got to figure out who I am and who I want to be. Right. Because when I look in the mirror, I'm just seeing my past. I'm seeing an overweight guy. I'm seeing a smoker. I'm seeing a dude who's stressed out. I see a guy who's always trying to fix things for other people, do things for everybody else, which is okay. I mean, you know, it's okay to be unselfish, but, but I really did it as a way to get or, or hope to get people's approval or hope to fill some made up idea of how I thought I should be perceived or something. And when I did it's not figurative. I literally kind of stood in front of that mirror and started to ask myself over and over and over. I might've asked myself 30 times in 45 minutes or an hour staring in that, that, that mirror, like, who do you want to be? Like, what, you know, who, who is it? And when I started focusing on me and the things that I wanted to do, then I could just then find out how I was going to be better than what I already was, right? I'm ahead of the guy that never started, the guy being me, right? But ahead of the guy that, that never tried. So I always wanted to be the guy that was trying now, but with a different purpose for, for me rather than for what I thought I should be or what I thought others wanted from me or for trying to please them or fix their problems or whatever. Was there an awareness that you carried um, prior to that moment when you were really starting to figure out who you were or, or just entertaining the curiosity of who you wanted to be, was there um, a, a knowing that you had that what you were living was, uh, I guess for the lack of better words, like not the life you were supposed to be living, that you were you were meant for something else? You know, um, I think that some people grow up with a really sense a good sense of awareness of how they fit into the world and i have a very very keen sense of observation for others but i was completely oblivious to observing myself now it sounds stupid but it's literally that it's like no the answer is no i had no understanding none and i can tell you that point when it when it hit me and and Usually you go, well, dude, I mean, you're a smart guy. I was successful. I was running a hundred million dollar business. I had 200 employees. I was, you know, I was, I was like a, like I was on my, on my, on my game. Right. I mean, like I, I knew, like I was, I was kind of killing the world, but I was in this horrible, uh, stressful, um, situation in my personal life. You know, it's not healthy. I was married to somebody who was, you know, an abusive alcoholic and, and I had new new kids. To, uh, they were four year old twins at the time. And I'm just like I'm at a low, low, low point. And I have a friend, and my friend and I were talking. We were, we were actually on our boats over in Catalina. If, if you're not familiar with California, uh, Catalina is an island about 20 miles off. And we're staring back and having a whiskey and probably having way too many cigarettes. And I said, I look over at him and I went, Chris, I go, Oh my God, I go, I'm so freaking tired of this BS. I'm like, I'm tired of like trying to like make her happy. And she's just so mean. And then I got all this stress and I got, uh, and he goes, dude, 
He goes, I'm tired of you. Literally, you are the problem, not anybody else. And I go, huh? He goes, you're the one that has the problem. And I go, what are you talking about? You know, she's mean and she's always yelling and I'm always doing everything I can. He goes, dude, listen to me. You're the problem. He goes, you are trying to fix things and fix people that can't be fixed. Why don't you worry about yourself? Why don't you make better decisions? Why, why don't you make yourself happy? Why don't you start focusing on you? Because you're the problem. And I went, whoa, that was like that awakening where I didn't know. I had no awareness that I was the problem. Mm. Once I realized I was the problem, then I could start to work on me rather than trying to think that I had to fix all these other problems that had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Once he introduced that to you, like, how did you metabolize that? Were you at first, were you like, dude, like, come on, you're my friend. You know, you gotta have my back. I might have dropped a few f bombs and kind (laughs) of yelled at him a little bit. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm no, I'm not the bad guy. Right. I'm not. And and he said, well, with regards to her, he goes like, look, dude, she's a rabid dog. Like she doesn't know when she bites, she's going to kill you. She doesn't know. She doesn't have that awareness. She never will. You're the one that's reaching out, trying to constantly allow her to bite you. You're the one that, that, that needs to be fixed. Not, not the dog, not the rabid dog. I don't mean she's a dog, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The analogy. So I kind of took that, that, um, like kind of like awareness that, oh my God, I need to do this for myself and and I need to start making choices for me rather than for, for other things. I, it wasn't easy. It was definitely not an easy transition because especially for, and you, you guys have, you guys are all about mindset. When you, when you're focusing on figuring out other people's problems, that's a great cover for not dealing with your own crap. <laughs> you think? Right? Yeah. And so I was a master of the the other experience. I was a master at being the best employee, being the best boss, working the hardest, um, uh, uh, finding the most ridiculous people to get into relationships with so I could fix them. You know, all these classic kind of like avoidance techniques of dealing with my own stuff. And then when I finally awoke, and it was really tough because as well, you don't want to you don't, you don't want, I didn't want to be self-centered and egotistical and think that I'm more important than the, than everybody that's in my world. But it really took a long, long time, but I'm at the point where I know if I didn't focus on me and if I didn't get myself healthy and I didn't get myself to a position where I mattered as much as everybody else, that I wasn't going to live a fulfilled life. And I certainly wasn't going to be able to give my loved ones a, a good life because, um, you know, eventually I was going to crack. Right. Yeah. Everybody would. Was there um was there a moment in that internal conflict where you're like, I, I I need to be selfish, but I still want to care for other people. I need to be selfish to work. I mean, I, I need to care for other people. And there's and you said it took you a while and I'm sure it fluctuated. Was there anything that, you know, worked well for you to kind of to kind of turn that around? Because when we do, when that new, when that concept is new to us, like being selfish, we start to put the onus on the feelings of what others think about us. Like all they care about mm-hmm. is themselves. So did you work yeah. through that? Yeah, it's tough. And especially as you know, with Ironman, Ironman is a very selfish sport when mm-hmm. you have a family, right? Because you've got to put in the hours, right? When, when you're getting ready to, uh, to run a hundred mile run, or you're getting ready to do three Ironmans in a year or something like that. I mean, it's very selfish. You have to be self-centered, but um, yeah, that was really, really tough. Um, and it still kind of rubs me a little bit, you know, like as I, 
as I'm, I'm approaching 20, I've done 18 Ironmans now. Every time I, I sign up, I'm like, oh, it's just a little bit selfish because there, there could be other things I could be doing. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's a mindset that I had to adopt, which is saying I'm being self-serving, not, um, not uh, self-centered. And um, I, I love to help other people. You know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm very much of a giver in that sense. That I, I like to coach people, I like to mentor, you know, 100% of the proceeds from this, from, from my last book are going to a charity, 100%. So, um, uh, so I, it's not like I'm selfish, but I'm more self-serving because I think that that provides me the right amount of balance to then be able to give to other people is because it's coming from a place of, you know, more centered, authentic place because I'm not doing things because I have to, or I'm not doing them because I'm looking for a response. I'm doing what I do, uh, because I do, because that's who I want to be. Let me tell you a super quick story. Okay. Super quick. So I'm in the financial services business and there's a woman there who's super successful and she's like one of the meanest people ever, ever. Like just rude, mean, yells at everybody, screams, super successful. But her uh, reason that she got to be successful was because she she decided to be a, a really hard person. And the previous David would have continually got in, gone in there to try to make her happy. I would have continually tried to figure out how I could make her not so mean. And so one day I went in and I saw she was particularly having a rough day and I gave her a gift certificate to her favorite restaurant and said, when you're in the right mindset, reward yourself for being in the right mindset and enjoy this thing. And she screamed me out of her office. How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. And the previous David would have been like completely shocked and oh my god i failed because i couldn't fix her i couldn't make her happy or whatever and then i i turn around and i said hey i go you be you and i'm gonna be me i'm not i don't care if you're angry or whatever i'm doing this because this is what i, I want to do i'm serving myself i'm not doing it to look for your approval or to make you happy or to think because you want me to do it i'm doing this because what i want to do that's who i want to be and i walked out of there at, like such peace where the previous me would have walked out of there completely torn up and and with a lot of angst inside because I didn't make her happy. Do you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You so that that alignment with who you truly are. Like you you were trying to be somebody by default in the previous David, but this is more in line and actually it sparks that feeling of of happiness and joy. So when you're trying to find the answer to like, well, why am I doing this? You feel good. Like it. it it brings joy into your life. It feels that's alignment, right? It's alignment. And you're going to you probably feel more things as you go along this path. More things are aligning, feeling good. Absolutely. Like I feel, you know, like I, I you know, I, it's a fine line, right? Again, between being selfish and being self-centered and being self-serving is, is, is a fine line. And, and sometimes I find myself going, Oh, am I on the wrong side of that line? But, um, but honestly, if, if I'm at peace and I feel good that everything I do is because I get to do it and not because I have to, um, then it's okay. Like when I, I'll tell you another quick story, right? I'm doing, um, a 50 mile run in, and in, in that last weekend of June in Vegas. So it's 115 degrees out or something. And I get to the start line guys, like three minutes before the race went off. Okay. It's a 50 mile race. Okay. I get to the start line. I'm frantic. It's 6 AM. It's already 90 degrees out. And it's it, the first quarter mile is on like on a seven or 8% grade up. And I'm like, 
Really? Like, what the hell? It's 90 plus degrees out here. I already am five minutes behind. I got to run the first quarter mile uphill. What the hell am I doing this for? And then I went, whoa, dude, check yourself. Are you literally kidding me right now? You paid to be in this race. Nobody cares if you finish. Nobody's watching you. Like, you chose to do this. If you don't change your mind, if you don't get a different perspective, um, uh, you're screwed. Just go home and, like, pack it up and go home. And I, and I thought about that word perspective and saying, okay, how can I change my mind? How do I interact with others? Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll end the story here, but I, I contemplated the word perspective and how I could relate to it and how the world related to me. And all of a sudden I was at the turnaround. <laughs> I was 25 <laughs> miles in and I had done nothing but put myself in a really good place to ponder the word perspective. And so again, a little selfish, but also self-serving because it, it it brings me out better on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that contemplation of perspective is shifting your attention, right? Shifting the perspective that you were holding that didn't feel good because you've cultivated the awareness. Without awareness, we got nothing. Mm-hmm. But once we get the awareness, the awareness changes nothing, right? So you could have been aware of you saying like three minutes, five, yeah, you know, run, what am I doing? You know, and we've all been there. I mean, I haven't done an Ironman where I'm not five strokes in going, oh. I don't really feel like doing this. Get out of there. Like, <laughs> what really am feel, I doing? I don't really feel like doing this. Um, but just even being like, oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna give my mind, you know, it might not have been this conscious, but like, I'm going to give my mind something to do. I'm going to let it chew on perspective instead of chewing on complaint. And I think that uh, uh, I love that story because I just, I can't give permission to myself or others enough that when we want to make positive change in our life or we want to just be better for ourselves, which means we're going to be better for everyone, that it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're not going to have negative thoughts. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have judgment. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have like this moment where you close your heart and you're not going to forgive. You're going to have those moments. Like it's just going to happen. And it's about what are you going to do when you become aware of that? Are you going to continue to go down that road? But with awareness, you realize like this road feels crappy. This doesn't feel good. And you realize, and you know, through awareness that all you have to do is kind of replace or shift, not stop, but shift where your attention is. And then all of a sudden you're at the turnaround and you're going to the finish line. (laughs) Except you're right though, except it's a hard thing to do. Oh, it's some people don't like there's somebody in my life right now. Okay. She probably is one of the meanest people I've ever met. Like authentically unhappy, mean, angry person. Okay. And the other day, um, she was having a discussion with somebody and I heard her say, uh, yeah, I'm miserable. I'm like the most miserable person ever, but I am what I am. Deal with it. And I'm like, uh, you have the awareness that you could change. You have the awareness that you are a certain way and you're, you're choosing to say you've reached the line of who you can become. And, I learned a, a valuable lesson, and I and I probably think about this during every event I've ever done, and during every difficult time that I come into my life. I have this visual, uh, and you guys, as both endurance athletes, you'll get this visual. But I, I was in the very first endurance athletic event event I did was the stupidest thing ever. It, it, I did an eighty-five mile rollerblade race. 
That's totally stupid. <laughs> totally stupid. <laughs> I went. It, it, it was called the A2A Athens to Atlanta. It had been around for like 35 years, and it was a rollerblade race. Okay, what the hell is that? I'm not coordinated enough to wear rollerblades, and I'm trying to race 85 miles on a roller on rollerblades. So I'm about three hours in, and I oh, didn't man. understand a thing about endurance athletics. I didn't understand one thing about it. I'm dehydrated. My sweat is white. I mean, white. It's salty and white. I, I, I'm, I have no business being there. And I, I'm turned on the side of a hill so I don't slide back down. And I'm, I'm bent over on my knees and I'm looking up this hill going, what the hell? And I look down and I see this sag wagon because I'm right near the, I'm right near the back. And I said to myself, well, and I looked down, I had this big line of sweat on this, on the asphalt. And I go, I just said to myself, well, you either can just pack it up and be done and know everything about yourself that you ever knew and just, just pack it up and go home. Let the sag wagon ca- catch you, pack up, go home, and you've already figured everything out. Or why don't you just go one more step and find out something new and go one more step and see who you can become and go one more step and see how much harder it could how how much harder you can handle see what you can discover about yourself and i and i ended up making that one step one step one step and i went another six hours so i finished this thing in nine hours i was one of the last people to finish but i finished ahead of the sag wagon and and more importantly i i i, I used that visual in my head of, of being like at my breaking point and crossing that line as the way i look at life and that is that un- until I'm ready to, uh, when you when you were just talking about awareness, until I'm ready to be fully aware and say I'm done, like I got it, this is who I am. Until until that happens, which I hope it never does, I'm gonna say wh- who, who am I gonna become? What's ahead of me? What's the next thing that I, what's the, what's the next line I can take a step past? And um, I think that as humans, if we can evolve or allow ourselves to evolve and allow ourselves to grow. Um, then we can f- become who we, you know, should become without even knowing who that is. But but if you already know, like just go home, like, pack it up and go home. Be miserable if you need to be, but don't don't do it around me. Well, I think that's the difference between you and the the person that you just mm-hmm. described. Is that, um, and I get that. Like I totally get this too. Um, that we need to allow ourselves to live a joyful life. And when all you know is that misery, or maybe it's not all that person knows, but it's so baked into them. It's such an automatic role that they play. Like, this is just the way I am, and that's that, and deal with it. It's just, they don't know who that person is, right? And so for whatever reason, you're one of the people that got curious. And and now you've realized that, oh, well, I can actually release myself from this marriage. I can do things that are good for my kids, but also good for me. And I can do this part and I can get up that hill and I can do this rollerblading thing, which is amazing that you did that. Um, But I think the difference is really this, this idea of allowing, allowing yourself um, a life that is and I think it goes back to what you were saying before about being selfish, but like a life that you desire, which I believe the one that feels 
right to us. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but that's the one we came here to live. We got to live it. I really believe we got to live it, but not everybody's going to make that choice. And so somebody like you, David, it's live in the demonstration. You just got to live the demonstration and you're doing that so, so well and getting out there with it. Oh, thank you. But I've also been inspired to continue to do that because, you know, sometimes we use as an excuse, oh, you know, my life is so hard or we, we, you know, or, or, you know, we just think like we can't overcome circumstances or we can't overcome ourselves. And um, the last book that I did, which is, you know, about 15 people's emotional journeys with cancer, I, I ran into some people who, like I had, I would have no way to understand what they've overcome and they're still optimistic and, and forward thinking. And it makes me think like, like, dude, if you're not giving it your all, if you're not allowing yourself to evolve and you're not allowing yourself to be more authentic and, and in touch and, and serving yourself as much as you serve others and being willing to be wrong and forgive yourself for being a certain way in the past, if you know, like, this is just a whole, it's a whole like awareness, awakening kind of thing that is really, really cool because, um, you know, like when you, I don't know, I, I hate to fail, but when you realize that it's okay to fail or it's okay to ask for help or it's okay to be wrong, um, it's really kind of empowering. Like it's, it's really, I just, I, I'm not exaggerating. I just had lunch with a, a friend, he's 73 years old. He's a very, very successful musician, um, kind of a household name in certain ways. And, but he's never hit it big, 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 big. He's never hit it really big. And he was taught since he was a little kid that he's going to be a world beater, absolute, the best musician ever. He joined a rock band to be that. He, he did all his shows to do that and everything. And he realizes at 73, he never got to be as, the level that he was told he was going to be. Okay. Now that's part of the story. The other part of the story is he came to the house, you know, we were talking, we we're doing whatever. I, I gave him, gave him a couple of my books. And then he read this, this, this book, this winning in the middle of the pack book that I wrote, which is like, kind of like that idea that you could do it for yourself and not, not for anybody else. And he goes, we went out to lunch like last week and he goes, dude, this book is completely rocked my world. What do you mean I need to worry about what I think of me? He's like, I've never, ever, ever thought that was part of the equation. He goes, I've always been fulfilling a uh, expectation that everybody else had of me that I made my own, but I could care. I, I have no idea who I am. You may, what the hell are you talking about even? And I went, wow. So we, it's it's like you just know it you know and you know it and when you when you start to realize that that you know taking you know that pr proverbial a uh, mask and putting it on yourself before you put it on others um you know is is a it's a it's a really big awakening yeah I, that's what i was just going to call it is it's that awakening right and it's, it's so great that you were able to introduce that to him you know he's 73 but still at the, whatever time, the timeline doesn't matter, but that it's that you've planted the seed and given him permission, right? Permission to question uh, what he's doing. So, you know, I've been really curious about, you know, all the things that we do. I think we all share a story where the first part of our lives where, you know, we're concerned with what we have and what we do and what others think. And then we have this awakening and we're like, 
man, there's there's something there's something more like writing books or or you know becoming um, becoming a triathlete. And so, do you feel do you feel any sense of responsibility now? I mean, you, now that your book is out there, like people are are putting this into action. Uh, yeah, but it's it, it it's it really is the best part of my life and the best part of my days are are like talking to people like you because. I'm not trying to preach and I'm not trying to tell people, Hey, follow this prescription and do this. I mean, you guys do that as coaches, right? Which is, which is great. You're, you're, you're fulfilling a need, but I'm saying like from one stranger to another stranger, I'm not, not saying, Hey, look at what I did and do this. Right. It's not that kind of obligation that I feel, but it, it, it is the best part of my life. And the best part of my day is like really trying to explain this concept of, of the fact that, that in the middle of the pack, right? Nobody's, nobody's looking, nobody cares. Like it's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thought. It's a, it's a fantastic thought. I did a podcast with a guy who introduced me to the concept of saundership and saunder. The idea of saunder is this, uh, keen awareness that others are just passerbyers in our life and that we are just passerbyers in other people's lives. And so don't make your life living a, uh, about living theirs and don't try to make their life about living yours. We're all just passerbyers in each other's lives. And that is such a beautiful thing. And when you, when you don't, when you don't care what anybody thinks now, what I mean, I don't mean be a bad person, but I mean, when you're not basing your sense of, that, uh, you know, validifying your existence, your, you're not, your self-worth isn't in what others think of you, but it's in what, how you self-validate and how you, how worthy you feel as a person to yourself. It's a really, really cool place. So I love talking about it and I love trying to help people understand that it really is the place for growth and for forming deeper connections and for being authentic and for pursuing what you need to pursue before you move on. These, these are, these are big concepts and we don't, I think especially guys, but we don't, we don't normally think that way, right? We, we, we worry about everybody else or what, what, what's it like to be a man or, you know, what, right. I, I know women have their own issues too, but men have their issues too, but especially with the, with, with that concept of, you know, um, not focusing on yourself, but dealing with the problems. It's, it's just the wrong way to think in my, in my opinion. No, I totally agree with you. You know, how can I ever love, you know, truly love another being if, if I don't have that love for myself and, and the way I reasoned that, cause I was at first I was like, that's bullshit. And beauty's not on the inside. Hell no, it's on the outside. And these are kind of thinking, um, ways of thinking that I used to have. And I realized like, oh, wait, no, I get that. Because how could I love another? If I don't love myself, I don't have, how, how much I can love another is in direct relationship with how much I love myself. Because if not, where am I pulling this love from? Where am I pulling it from? It's coming from me. But we, we direct it out and we say, we kind of leave ourselves in, in the pack. And what I discovered was, Oh, I don't need to cultivate love for myself. I just got to open up and let it come out. It's already there. Right, but what we do, like guys like me do, is that we look at 
loving ourselves is, oh, I can feel good about myself because somebody else loves me or I think they love me or they're giving me a raise or I got a promotion or I, I, I got a smile from somebody, you know, from, from a parent who I had, you know, a problem with or like the, it's the external validation that says, okay, I'm a good human rather than, you know, looking in the, in the mirror and going, do I feel good about who I am? And it's, it's a subtle line, but it's, it, it is that same thinking. I, I used to think that if I made other people happy or if I, if they didn't get mad, Right. But if I made other people happy, that that was where my self-worth and where, where my where my, you know, um, sense of self came from. And and I, and I understand why right? that was, was a result of my childhood. But um, but it took me a long, to- long time to figure out that, you know, just exactly what you just said, that I'm just going to put myself out there and be the real me. And as long as I'm good and doing good things and not trying to harm others, um, that's a really great place to start from. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that's a good. really great place so to let me, start. I, and I want to, uh, I'm so glad you brought up winning in the middle of the pack and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And it's so great. It reminds me of like what I used to tell beginners in my yoga class. Like I know you're hiding in the back, you know, cause you don't want anyone to look at you, but like nobody's looking at you cause they're too concerned about who's looking at them, you know? So come on up in the middle and let's put you in a little circle of love here. Um, but, uh, yeah. So winning in the middle of the pack, I love, I love that. But here's my question for you. So who you are now, right? And then I'm sure you can still remember who you were before. Like what's more effort? What's what's a more effortful way of living? <laughs> wow, that's a great question. Uh, effort. Uh, so emotionally, it's way easier now, right? Because when you're dealt with when you're filled with anxiety or stress or you're suppressing your emotions or you're um a, a not doing things because you get to do them you're doing things because you have to or because you think you have to that emotionally and psychologically is super super difficult right so it's easier uh, on an emotional level to to um have this I get to mindset rather than I have to and you know being authentic and just being yourself and trying to trying to like forgive yourself for your mistakes and realizing that you could be wrong and you know just continually working on yourself and 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 you know being the best you you can be that that's way easier now. Some of the other stuff's a little harder. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's much easier to get off of work, have have a cigarette and sit on the couch. Totally. That's way easier than getting out of work and going for a two-hour run in the cold. I'm not gonna lie, but, um, but, but, um, yeah. At some point, you got to grow up and say, okay, I, I got to be who I want to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not to be, it's not supposed to be easy, right? It's hard. It's it's freaking hard. Yeah, it is. Why don't we just all but, agree? Yeah, can we all just can we just agree it's going to be hard? Like it's going to be hard, right? Yeah. It's going to be hard to change. It's going to be hard. Let's all agree. Yeah, you know, let's throw that excuse out. It's going to be hard, but it's only hard because of the pathways that we created early on to get to the couch to get to smoking the cigarette. That's super easy. And back to your your point about perspective, like for me to go out and train for four or five hours a day is, is easy because I've, because it's my perspective. It's, it's what I have conditioned myself to do. Yes. It was hard to go out for an hour. Yes. It was hard to move it to two hours and yes, in the beginning three and four, right. It's just, it is hard. It is hard. Let's just, it, it is hard, but you get on the other side of it. 
I mean, come on, what's on the other side? Yeah. For, for me, and it's funny because um, I remember uh, walking through one of my offices years ago and, and I said, oh yeah, I'm getting ready to go over to Catalina to do a 50 mile run. And they're like, what the hell are you running from? And I go, I'm not running from anything. I'm running to something. And they go, what are you running to? And I go, I have no idea, but um, I'll find it. I'll find it. I know for sure. I'm not, I know I'm not running away from anything. That's for sure. I'm trying to figure stuff out. I'm trying to see what's over there. And when I get to the finish line, I'm sure I'm going to try to see what's past that. So I'm not running from anything. I'm running towards something. And that does make it a lot easier as well, because uh, with that optimistic mindset that I got to figure stuff out and that life's going to show me a bunch of fun stuff. Um, uh, yeah, you want to continue to do that. So, you know, I learned as much. I even learned uh, some new stuff on my, I just did uh, uh, my 18th Ironman a couple months ago. I learned more on that, uh, that Ironman than I have in the 17 before that. And people go, Oh, are you going to keep doing the same thing? I, no, it's I, I'm learning. I, what, what's wrong with learning? What's wrong with finding out who I am and what I can become? Yeah. And it's never, all they have to do is do two Ironmans to realize that it's never, never the, same. the same thing. I right. went, I uh, was out on a trail run a couple of years ago with a friend of mine and it's a trail she runs all the time. And it's a really heavily trafficked trail. A lot of people are out there and, and we were just running through the woods. And she said, you know, I love this trail. I run it all the time and I love it because it's different every time. Mm. And she said, you know, the trees have grown or some of them have, you know, some of the leaves have fallen or she's like, even the rocks are in different places. She's like, so if you look at it, it's always different every time. If you're, yeah. if you're aware, right. If you're, if you're present. Um, so I want to talk about your super epic bike ride and mm. the story that led up to that. And, um, because I think it's, so we've already touched upon some super important things. And of course, probably all of us are like, got all these names like, oh my God, this person, I hope they listen to it. Like, I hope they listen ah. to it because we, we don't need to live for other people or the expectations of society. Like when we find out who we are, we're inherently good people. Um, I believe we are inherently good people and we will find our way in a better way once we start to turn, you know, our eyes inward. But another huge piece, which really was um, struck me about your story when we were introduced to you is this idea of like traumatic things that happen in life. And, and when somebody we know is going through a trauma or we're going through a trauma, like how to speak about that or, or, or just bringing, more, uh, bringing that more out to the forefront as opposed to kind of, yeah, there's trauma every day. If we watch the news, we're going to receive trauma all the time. But it's something that I think we just really need to talk about more. And so Cycle of Lives is uh, brings that to the forefront in such a beautiful and personal way. But I'd like to hear you share the story leading up to it. Sure. So, and thank you. Um, you know, so when I was at that low point in my life where I had all this stress, I'm overweight, I'm a smoker, I got to get out of this this relationship is very uh, unhealthy and potentially very dangerous for me and my kids. I, I, I got out and I, and I stood in front of the mirror and I said, okay, dude, who do you want to be? And I get on this journey, right? I, I see this, this metaphorical pathway ahead of me, which is like, oh my God, finally, I'm finally at the start of a path and I can figure out where I'm going. Mm. At that same time, uh, right around this, the same time frame, within months of that, my sister calls me and says, hey, I've got terminal brain cancer. 
And to use that that same analogy, it immediately uh, went into my head that, oh, shoot, I'm finally on this journey to figure life out. Now she's going to be on a journey to end her life. And that was a weird dichotomy, but it made me really start to think hard about, um, you know, like like what we can all take from what our journeys are. And, and June and I had a, a lot of really kind of heavy talks during that time. She had a, a husband and, t- and two young kids and a great sc- group of friends and was living a really, really great life. Very happy person. Uh, very wonderful. And we had a lot of talks to try to figure out, you know, what she, you know, how she could contemplate this idea that she was dying as she wanted to take some pride and joy in having me discover what was going on uh, for, for me in the future. So we, we were able to have a lot of these kind of really uncomfortable emotional discussions, right? How do you talk to somebody about their good times when you know you got no good times ahead of you, right? It's a, it's a hard thing for people to, to wrap their brains around. But we, so set that aside as the backdrop when, when, um, uh, a couple of years later, when she was right right near the end of her life, um, we made a pact. She wanted to be uh, uh, at the Relay for Life that was uh, being done for her. You know what Relay for Life is? Mm-hmm. It's a 24-hour little thing with the everybody's out there and you support each other and you learn and you you raise money and you you, you bond and you do all this stuff. And is it on a she, track? Yes, it's on. Yeah. It's oftentimes at a high school track or a college track or, or in a park or something, and teams will get together and raise money for the American Cancer Society and this whole bit. It's a really an inspirational day. So my sister said, "Well, I'm going to figure out a way to get out there and watch everybody cheer me on for the whole 24 hours." And I said, "Well, shit! If you excuse me, I said if you can do that in your state, I will run the whole 24 hours." And she said, "All right, deal." Now, unfortunately, she she passed away like two days before the event, so she didn't get to see everybody there. But I and my kids, too, they were nine at this point. Um, me and my kids, we said we're going to be out there for the whole 24 hours, so we did. And I noticed, guys, that I, I was really keenly aware of trying to notice what was going on. But one of the things I noticed that was going on was that people were really good about talking about the tasks related to their trauma, the cancer or whatever else. How do I navigate school? How do I get my kids watched when, I, when I'm in chemo? How do I how do I uh, uh, get better insurance? How do I lower my stress? How do I do all of these things they were really good at. But when it came to the interconnectivity, the connecting with their loved ones, the talking about the emotional side of what was going on, that was done quietly in the dark, you know, uh, on a on a silence lap or whatever, like people just didn't talk about the emotional side of it. I went, whoa, you know, why is that? And it really started to spark a conversation in my head as to why we have such a difficult time talking about the emotional side of trauma. And I thought about some of the more traumatic times in my life, like seriously traumatic. Most people, if not everybody in my life, didn't even know about those things because I didn't want to talk about them. And I certainly didn't talk about how I felt about them. And when it, I feel like really we only kind of regret one thing in life or, or we're proud of one thing in life. Should we get the opportunity like my sister did to contemplate life at the end? And, and the thing that we're most proud of is the connectivity that we had with the people that are in our lives and our loved ones. And the regrets we have are the 
people that we didn't connect with that are in our lives and that, that are supposed to be connected to us. And so I wanted to embark on this project that would that would maybe shine some light on how people were or were not able to deal with the emotional aspects of their trauma so that if I could bring those stories to light, that the reader could read it and go, oh, okay, I, 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 I get it. Here's how I could better um, react. Here's how I could better connect with people. Here's how I could better understand what others have gone through. So I know it's a long answer to your question, but that was the idea was having witnessed that what my sister went through, having had the opportunity to connect pretty deeply on an emotional level, and then knowing that that is not very common. Um, it's way more common that people don't know how to navigate the emotional side of it um, or or don't try to. And I wanted to, I wanted to have some peace in trying to change that. Mm. So as somebody who's been in you know in a traumatic relationship um and this really hits home for us and a lot of our listeners know this that we lost a friend in february of this year to domestic violence and um it just timing is so divine right like yesterday was her birthday and uh today i went out running with another good friend of hers and 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 really processing you know like i, I had this thought of like oh am i ever going to be able to be with this person and not be processing this trauma and i'm like this is so important though like, let's have this talk. And we get out on the trail and we just talked and talked and talked about it and just really processed the whole thing. But as somebody who, you know, has lived this, right? And and so when we look back on our own experience with this friend, same thing, didn't, didn't really ever tell us the whole story, right? And there was breadcrumbs all over the place because once you get a group of people together, you realize that everybody has a different story. And it's, it's quite disturbing and, and sad and and just beyond what you can cre uh, create any kind of resolution around. But as somebody who has experienced it, um, what would you have, if, if somebody noticed some telltale signs, let's say, mm -hmm. and came to you, what, what would have helped you? Uh, well, first of all, you have to be open to help. Right. You, yeah. you have to be open to it, which is a hard thing. And that it's hard to even unpack that thought of being open to being right. I mean, you know, a lot of the stories I wrote about in the book were about people who didn't want to allow themselves to show any vulnerability because they didn't want to be abandoned or they didn't want to look weak or they didn't want to. Um, they felt shame or they didn't they, they felt guilt. They didn't want to burden other people. So wanting help is the first thing, which is a really difficult thing to unpack. So um, if you can be at the point where you want help, or you at least recognize that maybe I need help, even if I'm not open to it, if you can get to that point, then, and, and, and that's what I think goes to the heart of all of these stories is at some point, even if it was my conversation with them 30 years after the traumatic event, they found a safe place to say, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand the emotional side of this thing. I got, I got to talk about it. I got to deal with it. I got to understand it. You know, I, I got to find a safe place to talk. I asked people to give me one. I had one request when I talked to the people I spoke to, not everybody could honor it. And maybe sometimes I, I wasn't able to honor it uh, in my ask, asking and listening skills, but I just said, I need to know that I can talk to you about anything. 
can I ask you any question? Can, can I get to the authentic, true, the deepest, deepest part? And oftentimes, when the answer was yes, oftentimes, with every single person, oftentimes, they would be like, oh, shoot, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. Or, oh, my God, I never talked about that part of this this experience. And so I think that a long answer to your question is, is that you 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 have to provide if if it's somebody you want to connect to it or help or advise or just be there for you you have to create a safe space you, right they have to accept that you're going to be in that space with with them but you got to create a safe space because um, for all the reasons we talked about guilt shame uh, you know all this other stuff people aren't going to be safe to tell you what's really going on for a number of reasons. And if you can make it safe and you can go, I'm not going to fix you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to coach you. I'm not going to whatever. Just know I'm here for you. And, 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 and asking questions and pushing them a little bit, even if it's not comfortable for you to do that, that it might just be what they need. And mm-hmm. um, so it's a, it's a hard thing. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be preachy when I when I say these things. I just know from the people that I spoke to that that the that why they isolated or when they felt abandoned or allowed themselves to be abandoned was because they weren't safe because they weren't they didn't they didn't feel they could be their true authentic selves. Mm. Yeah, that's such a uh, it's it's so hard because if if the person's not ready, if they're not ready to receive the help or, you know, that guilt and that shame, which th- these are absolute byproducts of, of trauma um, or somebody who's about to go through it or going through it, mm-hmm. um, you really can only do what you can do and you've got to just love them and hope that they feel safe at some point to come to come to you. Um, with your interviews, oh yeah, so we didn't, but we didn't talk about how you ended up getting on the bike because you did oh, interviews. Okay. Yeah. Woo. All right. <laughs> Woo. That, was he- that was heavy there for a sec. That's okay. I know, now I back know. to the bike ride. No, it's good. People I expect to do us. that sometimes. I'm, no, no, no. no. These are heady subjects. Right? Yeah, no, we yeah. we love, this is good. This is stuff that we need to talk about. We need to talk about this and our audience is they're they're well primed for this. They're they're like rolling <laughs> they their eyes, that. going, "Okay, why don't you ask another <laughs> uncomfortable question?" Um, so yeah, so you did the interviews. What inspired you to to like? How did you find the people to do the interviews and stuff? Yeah, so when it came to the idea that I could maybe try to, because because what you said the very very beginning, right, is we're connected by story, right? So I I believe that we're only connected by story and we're connected by the uh, emotions that we all have. Right. There's not anybody in there that tells me if they jump in the water and they get stuck underneath a boat, there's right, and they can't find the, the surface, every one of us is going to be fearful. There's not a single person that alive that's not going to be fearful, right? We have these basic emotions that we all share. How we deal with them or don't deal with them, that's another story. But we all have them. And if if we're connected by stories and we can and we're also connected by emotions, if the stories spark emotion it's a way for us to connect at a deeper level. So I thought to myself, how can I get to the uh, emotional side? How can I tell stories that will allow people to connect with it in a way that they can now have another tool when they're, when they're dealing with, with people in their lives that, that 
that need help or that they want to help or when they're looking to them for help, you know, what's another tool that they can use to, to employ that ask for help. So I said, oh man, if you're going to do that, don't tell a bunch of inspiring stories about one facet of people. So I said, I need a range in age. I need a range in perspective. So not just people that had cancer, but survivors, loved ones, caregivers, nurses, doctors. Um, I wanted uh, uh, that kind of perspective of what type of cancer. So um, some cancers have a very, very different effect on people than other types of cancers, right? Some are very curable, some are not. Um, That could have a factor on the emotional level. I wanted to uh, uh, talk to people who had a range, uh, feared cancer, but never had it, to somebody that had it their whole life, five different times over a 35-year period. Right. And so and then I also wanted uh, people who had evocative, interesting stories that we could all relate to. So BJ and Jess, if you go before the cancer and we just said, let's talk about your trauma. We all have traumas. We've, we, we can all identify about the trauma. But then when it comes to cancer from all those different perspectives and all the stuff that I just said, how do those traumas that I can identify with? How do they affect your ability or your inability to navigate the emotional side of what you're going through now? Um, and, and what can we learn from that? So finding people was I, co-calling hospitals, co-calling cancer centers, asking friends if they knew people, starting to talk about the project and this is this is what I need. I need, hey, do you know anybody that's like over 65 that's lost somebody to cancer <laughs> that has a really interesting story? So I just... I just asked, right? And I wanted to, so a wheel, I wanted to fill in a wheel of all these different factors so that I could get a 360 view of this topic of, of the emotions of, of cancer, a 360 view. So a wheel. And then I thought, oh, if I could do the wheel, that's a, a cycle of lives kind of thing. And I played on this idea of cycle of lives and I like, oh, if it's a cycle, it's a bicycle. Oh, I know. Why don't I do a bike ride? That'll connect because we're all connected by stories. And I'm only talking to people on the phone. I go, why don't I get on my bike and connect, be the line that connects these stories by biking to each one of them and or most, you know, most of them and and uh and meeting them for the first time. So my story would be the thread that connects these stories together. So that that's where it came from. Oh my God. That's so I love it. And you're like, well, you know, I did that rollerblading thing, so I could probably do this. <laughs> but you think you did what, forty eight hundred miles in forty five days or something? Yeah, forty seven hundred and change in forty five days. I had four days off. So you can imagine, I mean, you guys know this because cause you're 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 you, you get the math on this, but it's basically two Tour de France's with more climbing in worse heat back to back. That's a, basically what it is. On a pretty heavy bike, right? Yeah. On a heavy yeah, bike. And, bike yeah. yeah. And I will tell you, there is literally only one reality that I could tell you absolutely exists when you're doing a solo 4,700 mile bike ride across 17 states in 45 days, the one reality is it doesn't matter what direction you're going. The wind is always in your face. <laughs> like literally always. Well, there's another one of those excuses, right? Like the wind was hard today. And it's like, no, the wind was hard. It's, it's going to be hard every day. It, oh, no, I would literally <laughs> go to bed going, okay, well, uh, you know, oh, I'm leaving Austin. I, 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 I was in Texas for like 10 days because I went into Dallas and down to Austin, up to Houston and then out. And I remember going, 
you know what? The, it's a it's a wind coming out of the southeast the entire way from Dallas to Austin. Thank God when I get to Austin, I can turn around because I'm going to be heading northeast. And the wind turned to being coming from the northeast. And then when I got to uh, Florida, I was like, oh my God, finally, yes, I'm going to get I'm going to get wind. And oh, by the way, there's a massive hurricane. So woohoo, I get the winds of a hurricane behind me. And then, yeah, the reality hit me that hurricanes go counterclockwise. <laughs> so the winds are coming down the coast. And so, yeah, I was in a headwind the entire way up to New York. So it was just completely stupid. Oh, my God. It's amazing, though. Um, and we'll obviously get a sh- <laughs> uh, link to that book in, in the show notes. And my gosh, like I just love all the different aspects of your story, you know, and and I I do believe that we can take our pain and we can move it into a purposeful life and it's not easy, but it's 100% doable and um something I was told a long time ago which didn't make sense at the time because of the way I was living was like to be who you truly are takes no effort. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to feel the ugh of vulnerability or like, oh, I got to do this now. Like you'll just get, there's no, there's no finish line, right? Like you're just going to get called mm-hmm. the higher le- levels of who you are, but there's an ease about that that makes the hard things digestible, I think. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good place to be. Like you said, it's easy, but it's, it's really hard. Like it's really, really hard to get to a point where you can make it easy, where you go, oh, okay, I get it. Like I can be my true authentic self and show the world that I'm, show myself that I'm imperfect. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's hilarious too, because, because real quick, my, my wife's an attorney, right? And oftentimes I'll say, oh man, I didn't mean that. And, and I meant it this way. And she goes, yeah, uh, intention is not a, is not a defense. It might, maybe in life, your intent is everything, but in the courtroom, intent means nothing. And I'm like, oh, wow, why do you got to be such a lawyer? Because, right? Lawyer hat. But, but intention yeah. is not a good defense, but I think in life it is. Like, if you intend to do the right thing, if you're trying to do the right thing, uh, that is a really good start. If you're trying, if you, if, if you with intentionality, you uh, deal with yourself and open yourself up to what, who you can become. Um, that's, that's a really, really good, it's a hard place to get to, but it's a great start. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So what's, uh, what's next for you? What do you got? You got anything brewing for 2022? Rides. We're going to see you at a race someday. (laughs) Oh man. I, I don't know. Like I, I, you know, I, 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 I never thought I could ever do anything like a stupid Ironman, right? Like who does that stuff? Right. Now I've done 18 of them and I, I, I'm, I'm a legacy athlete, so I can do the, do the, I'll never qualify, but, um, you know, I, I could go do the Ironman World Championship. So I thought, ah, that's a good place to end. So I might stop doing Ironmans on my 20th, you know, because one more and then and then do the World Championship. I, I'm not really sure. And my wife has planted the seed in me that maybe I need to do another book. And this time, instead of starting in California and then going Florida to New York, maybe I should start in New York and go kind of over towards Washington and down because mm. that way I would uh, – I would circumvent the states and come up with a new um, way to connect to a new set of stories. Uh, so I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. But I have a lot ahead of me um, that what well, we talked about earlier, that proverbial uh, line on the cement. I'm, I'm always take, trying to take kind of step, another step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let us know if you end up going to Kona. We'll be there next year. 
because you guys are athletes. Well, I didn't. I didn't qualify, but this one did. So I'm just going along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, he's the guy like literally when I'm coming in from the bike, (laughs) and I'm hearing. You are an Ironman. And I'm cursing all the athletes like BJ who are just like, they're finished? Are you kidding me? I know. Who the hell is that fast? He's that guy, right? Yeah, when the sun is still high in the sky. The photos yeah. come in and you're like, yeah, you can actually see it. Yeah. Right. right. That's why I'll tell you, that's absolutely hilarious. Anybody that's listening that's an athlete knows. I tend to want to do Ironmans before the time change just on the hope that I could get a picture at the finish line where it's not dark. Smart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true though. But yeah, I I love the whole thing about the sport and every everybody that's there. And and, you know, I just was talking to someone the other day. I just I love the community. I love, you know, the energy. I love the conversations. I love connecting the dots with people who have connected with us on social media. Um, and I think that uh, you know, listening to your story, it it inspires me. You know, I do a lot of Ironmans, but it inspires me to do something, you know, even bigger. Like, wh- what's mm-hmm. next? What's bigger? What what can what can create more connection in community? And I think that's the the thread that I would pull on with with your story that I'll take to heart um, and come up with a big challenge. I don't know what that is. But- Whoa! Hello, that we'll just see. got thrown down. Let me give you an idea that might help you think about it. So I I said to myself, well, wouldn't it be cool if you could ever do an Ironman? Right? I did one like nine months after I stopped smoking. And then I said, okay, well, what if you did like two in a year? And then what if you did three in a year? So I did three in a year one year. And I go, okay, whatever. And then I say, well, maybe that doesn't make me an athlete. What would make me an athlete? Because I knew I wasn't going to qualify, right? Qual- qualifying was not an aspiration for me. I'm just not fast enough. So um, I said, well, what if you could run a marathon on no training? Like just wake up one day and decide you're going to run a marathon. That would make you an athlete. So I did that. And I go, nah, I don't feel like that's it. And I said, oh, I know. I know what'll do it. What if you woke up one day without any training and decided that's the day you're going to run 50 miles? If you were in the shape to be able to wake up one day, put on your shoes and go, that's the day I'm going to run 50 miles without any specific training, then you'd be an athlete. And I did that. I woke up one day, it was in August, so not not the smartest time frame because it was warm out, but but I did 50 miles without training. And, um, and I did it in a pretty good, pretty good time. So then I said, Oh, well, what if you did like a hundred miler? I couldn't do that one on no training, but I think that, uh, just constantly thinking, what could I do? That's not, you know, like I'd love to be faster at Ironmans and that's a great deal. Or I'd like to have more Ironmans. That'd be a great deal. But I like this idea of going, Oh, I wonder what would make me an athlete, you know? And and pursuing that without getting caught up in the logistics of it. That's what I love about your persona is like, you just wake up and go do it, right? Because before, before the mind interrupts and says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you're talking to two coaches here. And it's like, there's proper way to do this. <laughs> I know. This. <laughs> but I know. That's, I'm sorry, but that's, guys. That's amazing. That's that's a beautiful thing is to keep keep feeding that passion, keep feeding that, that instinct, that yeah. intuition. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. And and um, gosh, I hope we get to stay in touch. And it would be so great to meet in person someday. We'd oh, love for that. Sure. Yeah, for and sure. uh, I would like that too. And and um, um, if anybody wants uh, wants either book, but certainly the Psycho Lives book, just because it's it it you know it is pretty new. It was an Amazon number one bestseller. Uh, when it came out and the audio book just came out, it's, it's literally fascinating. Um, I hired 15 actors to each play one of the different people in the story, uh, or 
to each read their own, you know, a different story in the book. So it's really a moving audio book, like really, really uh, interesting and moving audio book. Um, and all the proceeds go to uh, the cancer centers and hospitals that the participants each chose. So, um, yeah, that's there you amazing. Go. And, and we can hopefully take a few tools from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I saw the audiobook clip on your website, and there was like a whole cast. I was like, "Oh, he did this one really." Well. I know it's super. <laughs> it's super cool. And in fact, hey, uh, um, if anybody remembers the 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 commercial where a grandma um, uh, is on an e bike and races Peter Sagan, the cyclist, up a hill. Do you do you know this commercial? Oh, I think I a, might. I think I yeah, think I remember, remember this. It, it's like Peter Sagan's at the start, and he's like looking really mean at yeah. his competitor. And the competitor is a grandma, and she's on an e-bike and she races over the hill. And Peter Sagan looks at her, at her like, "Oh my God, how did you do that?" Well, one of the people that narrates the book—that's her mother. Her mother's <laughs> a two-time cancer survivor, and and uh, and and did her first uh, a triathlon at like age seventy-five or something, and she was just like. Dude, I gotta, I gotta narrate a story in your book. Like, I, I so it's so personal to me. And I went, oh man, that's really cool. So she's one of those people that you see on that long list of narrators. Oh my god! And I love people that give us no excuses. They leave us no excuses. Like <laughs> first triathlon in your seventies, yeah. and yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. I really, we really, really appreciate it. I was looking forward to this interview, and it it checked all the boxes. So thank you so much. Keep doing good work in the world. Yeah, thank you for your time. Keep coaching, keep keep enlightening people, and keep doing what you do. And I hope we stay connected for sure. Yeah, all right. Take care. Yeah, thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.